I am Duncan MacLeod, born 400 years ago in the highlands of Scotland. I am immortal, and I am not alone. For centuries we have waited for the time of the gathering, when the stroke of a sword and the fall of a head will release the power of the quickening. In the end, there can be only one. And welcome in to episode four of Let's Watch Highlander. I'm your host, Travis, and with me, as always, is Audie. This is Audie. Hey. Uh, so season one, episode four, uh, titled Bad Day in Building A. I guess I'll give a quick kind of plot synopsis of this episode. Uh, hopefully you were able to watch it. Uh, so in the beginning of the episode, Tessa has just a, a stack of parking tickets. And so she's heading to the courthouse to pay those off, I guess, or fight them or something. Who knows what it is? Duncan takes her in, drops her off with Richie. They go into building A of the courthouse. Meanwhile, there is a trial or a sentencing happening um, of a convicted murderer who then has his crew do some sort of a jailbreak and they take hostages Duncan goes inside to find Tessa because he hears gunshots and they end up all as hostages with Duncan being shot and killed, quote unquote. Uh, meanwhile, you've got, you know, the hostage standoff and, th and that's basically the episode. It's an interesting episode in that there is no immortal. Um, there is no quickening. None of that in this episode. No, nothing like that. But it's interesting. I find it really interesting that they do something like this so early in the series too. Yeah, I, I had forgotten that. For some reason in my head, I had it that this was another immortal that was like on trial. I don't know why, because as soon as it got to that point, I remembered, oh, that's right. He's not an immortal. And I think part of that is because the actor that plays um, Brian Slade, which wonderful name, um, comes back actually later on in another episode as an immortal. Ooh. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit more about him in a, in a few minutes, but... I uh, I had a lot of notes I took on this one, and it has... So this episode, once again, kind of shows off that wonderful early 90s TV budget. Mm -hmm. One of the ways they use the budget well, like, they do a good job with whatever budget they had with this one. Oh, definitely. I mean, for, for what they had for a budget, they do as good as they can. I thought it was pretty hilarious, the SWAT team that goes in, because it's, you know, it's clearly just, like, extras in rental costumes going in. They even had the same um, motorcycle cop costumes that we saw in the last episode as they're all heading in. And there's that and wonderful shot of the hallway and the SWAT teams in the hallway. And it's like all 87 members of the SWAT team are just yeah. standing in that hallway waiting. And just the hand motions and all that. It's like somebody just told you to do this like five minutes before you were on camera, right? <laughs> yes. Like, okay, I know, I know it's a prop rifle, but you could, you know, nobody really taught you how to hold it right. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that was great. Or the there was a line in it about um, the the crew inside moving like a like a well trained military unit, and I'm like, not any well trained military unit I've ever seen. But hey, you know that's yeah. fine. Like, I thought also that it was absolutely hilarious that uh, how Canadian this episode was. <laughs> yeah, I mean the we'll talk more about Brian Slade, but he is he is a very Canadian uh, bad guy. But the um, police, they call him lieutenant at one point, and then they called him like commander later on. Mm -hmm. But he was—we had a new—we had a new police guy. It wasn't Sergeant Powell. No, we got a new it guy. Was, 
yeah, it was Kaminsky. Um, and he has the first name he gives is Stosh. Now, if that's not Canadian, I don't know what is. Yeah, it's like Canadian or I knew I went to I went to school with a Stosh, but I'm in northern Michigan, which is basically Canada light. So right. that cracked me up. I'd forgotten completely about that. When he says his name is Stosh, I'm like, oh, come on. Really? This is supposed <laughs> to be in the U.S. Like there's no way somebody in that area. But hey, it works. There were some there were some logistical problems that I had watching it now that I didn't notice probably when I was younger. And they're little things that like nowadays you would think about when you're writing up some sort of a hostage scenario type story like this. But where did Slade get the cell phone? And how did anyone know that was the number to call? Oh, yeah. Once they get to that point, like early <laughs> on, it's like they rush past the part where the police knows there's hostages. He's got a phone. They have the number like that. It was like, we're just going to breeze through that so we can get to the episode. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So he's got a cell phone, which in itself is pretty rare this time anyway. And then they have the number for it. Uh, the The whole way that his, his crew of four guys gets into the building in the first place makes no sense because <laughs> if it, number one, if it's a courthouse, I can tell you from my tiny little town courthouse, like you weren't getting in there with anything, especially on a cleaning crew of any kind. Like those people were damn near strip searched. So that, that made me chuckle. Um, mm -hmm. how, and not only that, but even if they were able to get into the building, if the, the conceit is that the trial that was going on was so high profile and such a big deal that they had to do the sentencing in a closed court. That's why there was supposedly, it was the defendant, his lawyer, the prosecuting attorney, and the judge and a stenographer and that and a bailiff. So there's like six or seven people in the courtroom and that's it. There's no way they would let anybody be in the hallway outside of that until all those proceedings were done. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, they wouldn't even be, be able to work in there at all. Like there's a closed courtroom. It would be completely closed. Nobody's working that day. Exactly. So that's a that's a conceit you have to make in order for this episode to work. Fine. Uh, I'll let it because, again, 90s TV, it's cheese ball, but it does give us the plot. And without that, the story doesn't move forward. Um, overall, I think it's actually not a terrible idea for a plot to do a hostage situation like this. And it was a nice way to have a story that doesn't involve any immortals whatsoever, just Duncan give a reason for how he could end up in that situation. Right. Oh, I also yeah. thought it was funny that the pistols with the silencers or the oh suppressors were just like, normal sound. <laughs> were those suppressors supposed to work? Cause they didn't. Nope. Or does the person but, editing this thing have no idea what they're supposed to sound like? Probably. I did like though, at least that they had the gunshot noise and immediately like the next thing you see with Richie is I heard gunshots. Let's get out of here. Right. right. So it wasn't like, it was it was meant to be that way. It's just whoever in the prop department grabbed the wrong uh, prop pistols. Yeah, and we'll get to it. But man, Richie was good in this episode, and that was the first thing I noticed. Like immediately, we cut to Richie with Tess, and he's like, "I heard gunshots. We're out of here." Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We'll we'll get to him because I I do have uh, some similar thoughts there. But again, overall, I mean, it's a pretty solid front to back episode. Um, it uh, it has not a whole lot in the way of action in terms of like really choreographed action, but it's got a lot of cat and mouse stuff, which I thought was kind of neat with Duncan moving through after, you know, he gets shot as a, a demonstration. He gets shot on one of the closed circuit cameras that the, apparently the police could see, but then he, you know, after he wakes up, he starts picking them off one by one. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting uh, how Slade picks up on Duncan's skills. Like 
when yeah. the first when Duncan first shows up, he does you know whatever move to try and disarm one of the guys, and then Slade's talking to him later about it. Like, I recognize somebody who knows what they're doing. Like he could see that Duncan was well trained, and I'm like, yeah, he's been well trained for a few hundred years, dude. <laughs> yeah, he's got a little bit of experience on you there, bub. But yeah, I think it's a solid episode. So, um, speaking of Slade, let's talk about our special guests. Oh, I believe you, Stush. I just don't care. So special guest in this um, we had was Andrew. I'm going to pronounce it Divoff. Uh, I'm sure that's wrong, but he played Brian Slade. <laughs> so first of all, Brian Slade, what a name for a non-immortal too. Like I could see that being the name of an immortal and maybe uh, the original draft of this script, they started off with it being an immortal. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. So this guy, I don't know how familiar he looked to you. But first of all, his IMDb photo is great because it's him with this big old eye patch. <laughs> Which is ironic considering his name in this episode. Yeah. Um, For those of you who don't know, Slade is a DC comic character who wears an eye patch. And that's yes. a whole nother rat hole we could go down. But he is playing the character of Brian Slade as Canadian as you can be. Like he couldn't have been more Canadian if he were wearing a flannel shirt, sipping a Molson, uh, just the, the Canadian accent he had. Now I love the first line of his IMDb profile too, because it's Andrew Daniel Divoff, uh, is a Venezuelan born Russian actor and stuntman known for playing the evil Jin in the first two Wishmaster films. I can't tell you how on brand that is for a Highlander episode to have a Venezuelan born Russian actor yeah. playing an American soldier turned killer with a Canadian accent. I didn't hear it as Canadian. I heard it as Irish. And so my brain was going off like, oh, Irish oh. mobster guy going off against an ancient Scotsman. This ought to be great. I, maybe it's because I've been watching a lot of Letterkenny recently. So I've got that like Canadian kind of hick uh, thing in my brain. But mm -hmm. he just, I kept, I kept wanting him to, to ask people, you know, how are you now? Or, or end every other sentence with a. Because yeah. it just it just sounded so Canadian, and maybe it's because they shoot in Vancouver, and somebody told him, "Hey, we're shooting in Vancouver." Perhaps they didn't tell him it's supposed to take place in Washington. That's probably what happened. So he's thinking, "Oh, I'm in Vancouver. Well, I'll I'll just do this uh, Canadian style accent then." Yeah. The thing about this episode is, I remember I don't know why or how, but I think this was one that was rerun a lot because I remember this one specifically, and I remember him. And here's the funny thing. He was uh, in a movie just a year before this episode called Toy Soldiers, where mm -hmm. he was a terrorist taking over uh, a boy's private school. So oh, it right. was a yeah. very similar situation. And he was kind of in charge. So I was just like, it's like, I wonder, I almost wonder if somebody saw that movie was like, can we turn this into an episode? <laughs> Could be. You know, and he's done, I mean, he's been, at, he's got 111 credits to his name. He just did an mm -hmm. episode of the, the new Perry Mason revival he was in. Um, you know, he's been working movie and TV for pretty consistently. He was in um, The Blacklist for a number of episodes, six episodes mm -hmm. of The Blacklist. Uh, the, I mentioned the Wishmaster movies as the Jin. So he's, you know, he's no stranger to wearing a bunch of makeup. He actually right. did, there's a, a movie and a sequel he did in the mid-90s, and i got to find it here because it was Oblivion, and Oblivion too. Never heard of it before at all, but half the pictures of him on IMDb are from that movie. He played two characters in it, and he wears um, 
he wears like really heavy prosthetic makeup in uh, in a lot of that one too. Okay. Overall, I thought he was fine. Like, oh yeah. Aside from the kind of cartoony, silly accent that I couldn't get around, and I just kept every time he would pop up on screen in my head, I'm just saying, "How are you now?" For whatever reason, I kept wanting him, I wanted him to say sorry to somebody. I just wanted to hear him say sorry, <laughs> so bad. You know, overall, I thought he was fine. He his presence was decent. He was very calm and collected. I did think right at the end where he has his kind of nom flashback moment mm-hmm. right where the the helicopter's coming in and he's hearing it and he's hearing all these echoes in his head and he's like looking around and getting all freaked out i didn't feel like that fit very well for the character that they had been portraying up until then i get what they were trying to do because everything was falling apart around him yeah see that that one that particular point in the episode really threw me i was like is he hearing stuff outside is like right what's going on with the sound work here like that just didn't didn't work for me at all no so they, they didn't like, do a very good job of yeah they didn't do a good job of explaining what that was so we had the return of randy mcfarlane um everyone's quote favorite reporter uh, <laughs> sure. she was she was worse in this episode than the last time we saw her we saw her in innocent man and there she was the plucky reporter trying to get a story here it was just worse like she's at one point, literally making up more story to try and, like, I guess, get the network to send a live feed. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. that really rubbed me the wrong way. Like, no, 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 no. Nobody who yeah. calls himself a journalist is doing that. And then, you know, her talking to herself as she's pacing, like trying to psych herself up or whatever. It just, this was a character that never really took off, which we're only going to see her a few more times, thankfully. But yeah. I just... I could have done without her. Uh, you could have cut her completely from the episode and it wouldn't have changed a thing. Right. Again, she in this episode is what somebody thinks a reporter would be doing. Yes, exactly. And then two other uh, notable names in the episode. Uh, Cause we mentioned, we talked about a little bit about Stash Kaczynski, um, mm-hmm. the, the, I guess, Lieutenant or commander or whoever he was, um, IMDb really has him as commissioner. So commissioner. Oh yeah. I wish it could have been Powell because we've, yes. we've seen Powell for a few episodes now. So he's a character that we know it would have made more sense to me. Right. And then his like second in command, whoever that guy was, the uh, SWAT commander, Duncan Frazier. Right. I mean, he was just there to basically be a foil for Kaminsky. Mm-hmm. Um, although Kaminsky did have one of my favorite moments in the entire episode, and that's where Duncan Fraser's character, the SWAT commander, comes out, and Kaminsky's sitting there with a phone at each ear. Yeah, he's got two <laughs> hand, he's got two receivers, like he's talking to two different people at the same time. That made me laugh. Yeah, that was just so ridiculous. Uh, and then, and then, as soon as he gets word that they're ready to go, he just hands both receivers back to the guy standing behind him. Right, one of which was the mayor, so he just kind of just threw the mayor away. <laughs> yeah, he just hung up on the mayor. But uh, two of the thugs are actually um, actors that have done quite a bit of work. The other two I hadn't heard of or seen before, uh, Gary Jones and Bill Croft mm-hmm. as Klein and Mancuso. The the thug that had probably the most speaking lines of anybody was the big guy with the dark hair that gets stabbed by Duncan. Has the, right. the, the best death in this at, of mm-hmm. all of them, where he gets stabbed through the, the stall door in the bathroom. That was Canadian actor and stuntman Ken Kersinger. If the name doesn't f- ring a bell, if you saw Freddy vs. Jason, 
he played Jason. He played uh, Jason Voorhees for a couple of movies, I think. Yeah, I saw that in the notes. He wasn't um, somebody I knew at all. Like, this was all news to me, but he's definitely got a good track listing of stunt Yeah, a lot of stunt sure. work. A lot of stunt work. What I like about him is he is a big... Impo- him and then the other one was Vladimir Kulich, who is a... Yeah, he's a Czech actor who uh, oftentimes plays Vikings and... and um, he was in uh, Smoke and Aces as the Swede. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in the Thirteenth Warrior. That um, is exactly where I recognized him for. I was like, yep. <gasps> "Bull of Life." Yep. Um, he was in uh, Vikings on History Channel. Funny thing is, you got Ken Kersinger, who had probably the most speaking lines, and then Coolidge, who doesn't speak at all. He's yeah. just there to be big and blonde. Uh, mm-hmm. But both of them are huge men. Both yes, of them are, are a solid six foot five. And it gives you an idea of how tall six foot five is because Adrian Paul is not a short guy. He's right around six foot six one. Mm-hmm. And he just looks dwarfed by Ken Kersinger. Yeah. At six five and a half, six six. Like it's just crazy. But it was fun to see them. I, I recognize the names. I didn't recognize Kersinger by face just because, you know, he's usually doing stunt work or he's behind a ton of makeup. But I recognized Vladimir Kulich right away. And I always like seeing him. And, and I, the same thing for me. I always remember him from the 13th warrior. Yeah. Side note. That's like one of my favorite movies. I know it's got its problems, but I love that movie so much. Oh, you and me both. I, I really like that movie. But yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's always fun to see uh, stunt performers or, or read a name and be like, Oh yeah, that guy. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. The one other guy I recognized was the janitor who is Al Humphreys. Mm-hmm. And I, realized it once i saw him he was in first blood oh okay the, um extra guys going out there to hunt him and you know with the police and stuff just oh. following orders going along with it oh and apparently his daughter in the episode um who was uh, belinda as a child actor she was fine um yeah that was she wasn't my notes. she was really she good for a child actor like He's yeah, a little like a little dorky, but it fit what she was supposed to be doing. So, yeah, the character was a little funky with like the whole "no, I'm not going to do what you want until you tell me a story" part, just mm-hmm. because I didn't feel like how a kid. I guess if she doesn't really know what's going on, right? But overall, I thought her performance was fine. Um, she apparently does a lot of voice work. She's Pinkie Pie and Fluttershy in My Little Pony. So if you're into My Little Pony. Which my boys are, so I have been listening to her voice a lot and not even realized it. That's hilarious. Overall, uh, a solid supporting cast, again. um, It helps when you put stunt performers, stunt performers with good uh, or decent acting ability into some of your main roles. So Andrew Divoff, Mm -hmm. Ken Kersinger, I think, actually can handle himself on screen pretty well. Yeah, I thought he was good for what he was doing. Yeah, I mean, he's playing a very simple character, right? He's big. He's the muscle, so right. he's good at that. But yeah, I think uh, I think overall a solid supporting cast in this episode. Listen to me. We gotta go in there. We gotta save as many hostages as we can. Where the hell do you think you are, Beirut? Uh, so flashbacks. Um, let's talk about the flashback or lack thereof. There was no flashback in this episode. Yeah, no flashback. I think I said it earlier. Like, really interesting that this was an episode that didn't deal with another immortal and interesting that they did this so early in the series. Yeah. And I, and the only reason I could think of to, you could have easily had a flashback of some kind, right? They could have worked one in 
and it wouldn't have felt, I don't think it would have felt forced Mm -hmm. to have, but at the same time, it made sense not to, and I didn't miss there being a flashback. As soon as I realized, oh, we're not going to have one in this episode, it didn't bother me because he has no prior experience with this person or any of these people. I think at best they could have done one showing some military history because they mentioned that and, you know, it shows off, he shows off his abilities, but yeah, that wasn't necessary. So they didn't put it in there, which I think was, was a smart move. Plus I think it would have diverted budget away from the already thin budget that they Mm. had for the episode to set up some kind of a flashback. So it was either going to be overly cheap flashback or who knows. So I'm, I'm glad that they didn't waste any screen time on that. Um, it's just interesting to have that this early in the series and not right. a flashback. Again, just kind of setting us up for like, you're not, this isn't going to be Monster of the Week all the time with just the Immortals. First, you kill all the lawyers. So Richie in this episode finally kind of starts to feel like they're they're getting some footing with him. Yeah. And he doesn't, he doesn't feel like a cartoon. He doesn't feel like he's trying to play young. He felt like, hey, this is an intelligent human being. Yes. Um, now, part of it is he had a bit of a haircut in here, so his hair wasn't quite as like blonde and curly, which I think helped with the tough guy look that they still are trying to go for. You know, mm-hmm. the sleeveless denim and all that. Right. But you're right. He wasn't trying to play 17. Like, he was just being Richie, and it worked. Plus, he had another one of my favorite moments, which is when he starts talking about the the wacko serial killer stuff and scaring because he notices like yeah it was a cool moment for richie because he notices that this guy's like freaking out he's sweating really bad and he looks nervous so richie picks up on that realizes he knows that even if they took duncan and shot him that duncan's gonna get back up so boom i'm gonna mess with this guy's head and you see tessa smile as he's telling the story of the the crazy killer that eats people right i really i uh slasher comment that he just happens to be completely right on. Like it wouldn't have made a big difference, but the fact that Duncan had actually gotten something sharp and was using it and freaked this guy out even more. I was like, shut's kiss, Richie. Well done. Exactly. Yes. Uh, And it's, it's really our first, we're only four episodes in, but it's our first real like episode where I don't dislike Richie. I, I liked him in this. He wasn't the annoying character that he had been for a couple of episodes. Yeah, everything he did in this episode was was good or adequate for where he was and where he needed to be. Even talking to uh what was it, Stan, the old guy? Yeah. Yep, Stan, so. uh Stanley, the uh the con man. That was an interesting one. Only because Stanley talks about, you know, oh, I used to fence merchandise, but that was that was getting a bit dangerous, so I'm just doing the cons now. And then he's talking to Richie later and Richie's like, What have you been working on? Oh, I've been fencing merchandise. Right. <laughs> But yeah, no, Richie, Richie was good in this episode, I thought. Uh, I mean, he could have been in it more, but maybe it, to, to some extent that's why, because they didn't overuse him in this one. Right, yeah. Like he was there, but they didn't, they didn't make him a super focal point because they could have very easily like overdone him trying to somehow, almost like he learned from the previous episode with uh, trying to do something on his own and getting chastised by Duncan. Right, and getting getting beat up a little bit, so you're getting some of that character arc. Where like he he tried a couple times to stand up for Tessa mm-hmm. and got smacked around for it, but he didn't overdo it. So I no. appreciated that. And you almost a, you could have split 
or uh, not split, but like he could have taken the place of Tessa and done some of the stuff she did and have her out of the episode completely. Um, yeah, that's true. Those roles enough that I think it worked. Yeah. Well, and, and it's nice because as Tessa is usually kind of the damsel in distress, it was nice to have her take the initiative and go make the phone call to uh, Kaminsky now Mm -hmm. how she knew what number to call who knows but whatever hand wave past that Um, have her do that and then tell Slade look I told them you're not shooting at us you know the the reasoning behind what she did made sense Mm -hmm. a lot of very smart on the toes thinking from everybody good news is I'm rusty I might miss you want to know what the bad news is (laughs) Bad news is I'm really pissed. So, uh, bad day at building A. Overall, I liked it as an episode. Um, it's definitely improved over our previous one, The Road Not Taken, uh, in my opinion. Um, For sure. Yeah, it's still showing off that kind of early 90s TV budget. So there's there's parts that look cheap and there's, there's plot points that don't really make sense or like lo- logic leaps that you have to make in order to get into the episode. But mm-hmm. if you know if you know you're watching an early '90s, you know late '80s, early '90s show, you kind of expect some of that, especially right. a cable show. Like cable shows didn't have nearly the budget that a network show would have had at this time. So mm-hmm. you give it a little bit of leeway there, and it's it's an enjoyable episode. It has uh, a fun little cat and mouse bit that goes on. Um, good uh, good guest stars and uh, a really really funny accent from our our main baddie. Yeah. And again, Duncan showing off just how good of a person he is and just how good, quote unquote, of a killer he can be. Yeah, which was interesting because usually he's going up against another immortal. And in this episode, there were no immortals, but he had no problem taking out and killing these guys, um, which you kind of see later on in the series, he's much more reluctant to do. And I almost wonder if the way this episode ended was sort of the seed for that because he he has a chance to just hop in the car and drive off with Tessa, but he goes off on his own and walks away and he looks really shaken by what's happened. Yeah, that ending was... That thing kind of threw me. That was a little weird that he didn't just get in the car and drive off with him. So I don't know if that's what kind of informed later writers to be to have him be more reluctant to kill mortals, but... Um, I think overall, like it, it totally kind of threw me off too watching it, but if I can look at it through the context of the whole series, maybe it'll make more sense down the road. Right. And it could go back to what the old guy Stanley was saying. Like, you know, at one point he was talking to Tessa, like, these are guys that are not going to mess around at all. This is not guys to play with. And it may have been Duncan knowing that at the same time, like there's no way of trying to, to, um, do anything less than take these guys out in the best way possible. And a couple of them are still alive at the end. So, yeah, that's true. He didn't kill everybody. Just, you know, just most of them. I think he, he left uh, Blondie alive. Big blonde guy. Yeah. I think made it up. Uh, but I mean, I give this a solid C plus to B minus grade. Like it's, it's much improved over the road, not taken. I think because it, it fit itself. It, it's fit the self-contained story. It didn't feel like they were stretching anything out or that there was stuff missing. Right. I mean, could you have made it longer? Sure. But you, in order to do that, you have to add a lot. I don't 
Mm -hmm. I think for a single self-contained episode, this worked really well. Yeah, it did. I I think we talked about it. Randy is the only thing we'd get rid of. And then Mm -hmm. the other thing that threw me is that Kaminsky knew, knew who McLeod was. So I don't know if that's something weird with production, uh, and the writing staff just not on top of it or something, but like, we don't know this guy. How does he know McLeod? Yeah, that was a question I had too. I forgot to mention that earlier because he, he so, immediately recognizes him. And I'm like, how? How does he know who that is? Which is where, again, if it had been Powell, now now that makes sense. And maybe right. originally it was Powell. Maybe they had to switch to Kaminsky because um, the guy who played Sergeant Powell couldn't make it. Couldn't yeah. be there that day. That could have been a scheduling issue. And that and they line just didn't got fix left the script. in. Yeah. Yeah. So that's possible. Yeah. I think you take Randy out of this episode. Um, it bumps it up, you know, a little bit just because she doesn't bring anything to this at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I should preface, or I should say it's not the actress's fault. It's not Amanda Weiss's or Weiss Weiss. I'm going to go with Weiss. Um, Amanda sure. Weiss's fault. Like she's fine. The character is what bothers me and I don't like. Yeah. I mean, she's doing a good job with what she's given and what she's given is not a good character. No. Like not. There's nothing really there to be there. No, it's like somebody had only ever seen journalists in bad TV shows. And Mm -hmm. that's what they were basing it on. Yeah, the bad TV shows. So, yeah, overall, solid, solid episode. uh, And we're we're improving. So that's good. Um, I think the best things to take away from this are um, the better use of Richie. And his character starting to kind of find his footing, I think mm-hmm. was the what. Even though he doesn't have a ton of screen time, it's easily the best. I think part of this is Richie, and then it's the cat and mouse stuff, and Duncan kind of getting to show off that he's not just a straight up one to one fighter. Like he can do soldier stuff too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. and uh, he doesn't need a sword or anything. Right, he can take whatever he needs. Yes, exactly. So that is Bad Day at Building A, um, episode four of season one. Uh, overall, a solid episode. Now, next week, uh, we go to Free Fall. And Free Fall is a fun one because we have a, a good special guest we'll get to talk about. Oh, um, yeah. I don't know. Should we give it away or should we make him wait? Make him wait. Yeah, we'll make him wait. But we got we have a you fun. People. We have a fun. Um, oh, I did want to mention the director of this episode. Uh, Bad Day at Building A was the same director of Innocent Man. And if you notice, there were Dutch tilts again in like random Uh, places. (laughs) So Jorge Montesi. There you Uh, go. I I forgot to mention that. So yeah, uh, come back next week for Free Fall, episode five. um, And we'll we'll have a fun special guest to talk about in this one. Um, Yeah. So that'll be next week on Let's Watch Highlander. Until then, I am Travis. And I'm Audie. And there can be only one... 114 more episodes. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>